0: Welcome to Apple Arcade Plus, the show where you get to hear from the people behind Apple Arcade games.
1: I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. One thing that we added to the game was verticality, for example, which uh, was a thing that maybe the first Ocean Lord didn't have in the same way. When you use the grappling hook, you start going from one place to the other very fast. I think it is a very fundamentally big change in the gameplay. Putting the camera, then you have like two other characters that are helping you, then you have the caster gun. I mean, the changes are significant. Welcome to the very first
0: episode of Apple Arcade Plus. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Tommaso De Benetti, who's on the Oceanhorn 2 team, And as of recording, I have played 30% of the story with a clock time of six and a half hours, which if my pace maintains means this title will be a 21 and a half hour journey for me. And so far, the game is really succeeding in having great gameplay, music, visuals, story, characters, and the pacing is especially great. This is a system seller kind of title for Apple Arcade and one of my favorite launch titles available for the platform. I'm playing it mostly on the iPad Pro with the DualShock 4. In this interview, we dive into a lot of different aspects of the game, but keep everything fairly spoiler-free. You won't have a whole lot of story spoilers. There may be a couple of items that you get that would have been at surprises otherwise, but nothing major. And before we get to the interview, I'd just like to ask if you enjoy this episode, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Every review goes a long way in helping others discover the show, and it's greatly appreciated if you can just spend a couple minutes leaving a review. You can send your feedback to me at AppleArcadePodcast at gmail.com. You can find the website at AppleArcadePodcast.com, and you can follow the show on Twitter at AppleArcadePlus. With that, here's my interview with Tommaso, all about Oceanhorn 2. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Tommaso. Can
1: you first introduce yourself and Oceanhorn 2? My name is Tommaso De Benetti. I've been joining Corn Fox Brothers last year in, in October, so it's been basically one year. The guys, at that point, they had been developing the game already for four years, and they were approaching publication. Uh, at the time, they still didn't know when that would happen. They had a hint that it would be during the summer of 2019, but they weren't sure. They thought that uh, they needed some help with uh, marketing and communication. communication. Communication, basically letting the the world know that this game was coming out and and they should wait for it. I've been joining this journey towards the end, but yeah, it's still been a year, so I know plenty of things that happen in the backstage, so maybe we discuss some of them today. Yeah. And at that time, did you know Apple Arcade was where it was going to end up i think that if i remember correctly when i joined that they were discussing about apple arcade so apple was interested and i think the guys were considering but the contracts weren't signed yet so in a way a big chunk of development of this game basically 80 percent, was done even before apple arcade came into the picture in that sense the service hasn't influence the game that much. It's interesting. And have you gotten feedback from those playing it so far? The original Oceanhorn booted on iOS. It was 2013, uh, November 2013. And at the time, it was very well received. It was on the front page of many stores for many different markets. Of course, we are getting great feedback from Oceanhorn 2. There's a lot of people complaining, but um, uh, there is a common pattern uh, among the people complaining. And usually, these are people that are not not playing it. They are complaining because it's not coming out on their favorite platform. People that can play it on, on Apple Arcade or are considering playing it on, on Apple Arcade at are generally very happy with uh, with the product. As anything, it has some little flows here and there, but the beauty of app development is that you can also do updates. And for example, we are already gathering feedback for the first few updates. One of the most common requests is, for example, the inverted uh, Y-axis. If you like to use the inverted camera, that's not something we put in from the beginning for various reasons. Like for a long time, we didn't know that there was going to be controller support. And then uh, the team... Basically, got used to to play it in one way, and quite frankly, we didn't realize that it was such an important issue for people that are used to play it with the inverted camera. Uh, but of course, it is because if you if you've been playing on console, it is a kind of a standard thing. So, so that's one of the first thing we we are gonna address, and uh, it's not it's not difficult to pull off. So, we'll have news about that very soon.
0: Excellent. And what kind of other feedback are you getting from players outside of uh, the camera controls?
1: Well, I, I mean, like, uh, there's a lot of players that, for many of them, this is their first action RPG uh, in the vein of Zelda. I'm not running away from our inspirations. So for them, it's kind of blowing their mind because they never tried anything like that. A lot of the driving force behind uh, the development of Ocean 2 has been trying to recreate some kind of nostalgic feeling for certain kind of experience that is not that easy to find nowadays. It is kind of surprising if you think about it that such a popular series like Zelda doesn't have that many games that are trying to do the same thing on other platforms, some other IPs. And uh, maybe in recent years there's been a bit more, there's been Darksiders, there's been HOB, there's been some other smaller games, but somewhat it's, it's kind of curious that an experience that so many people love doesn't have alternatives to uh, forefather, you know?
0: Yeah, and it's kind of interesting... This game launched a day before Nintendo's remake of a Zelda game, which I just love. That's like, it's Zelda season, everybody. Let's play Zelda right now.
1: Link's Awakening, yeah, yeah. It's uh, the childhood favorite of our creative director, Heiki uh, Repo. He's also the author of the story of Oceanhorn 1 and 2. I think that that was, uh, if you read, um, we have this blog with some articles that I write from time to time, and one of them is about, uh, actually three of them are about our inspirations, and the one about the inspirations of Heiki we very clearly state that Link's Awakening has been one of the main ones together with Mystic Quest uh, which uh, incidentally was also my first experience with a JRPG and it's kind of funny because we at the time we were living in different countries and uh, we didn't know each other at all and these are some common experiences that uh, clearly left a mark on, on our generation. With Ocean On 2 we're we trying to to offer that same kind of, of experience to a new generation for those that have never played them uh, but also for the people that are about our age if they want something that reminds them of their childhood the wonder you know at the same time with all the improvements that you've been used to in gaming in the last uh, 10 years or so
0: yeah and it's succeeding there this is my first experience with Oceanhorn and i'm mid halfway through the first temple uh, for the owl and just received all the power spheres and put those down and it's delighting me in ways that Nintendo would which is a, a great compliment i'd say
1: yeah like uh, it was funny like uh, i just came back from lunch with some people at uh, epic uh, they have an office in town and there were there were some some guys from uh, other epic offices here and we were discussing about like uh, oh but do you think that nintendo is going to be mad that uh, that your game is so heavily inspired from a zelda game and uh well the truth is that they're really not mad that they're quite pleased that the the first well first of all because It means that their series is still very relevant We know that Breath of the Wild has been the most Successful episode so far I don't know how Link's Awakening is doing But Breath of the Wild has been massively successful uh, uh, Compared to any other episode of Zelda so there's, I think we were calculating this morning there's 8 million new players compared to their usual 5 or so that have experienced a Zelda for the first time with Breath of the Wild and there might be interest in other experiences that kind of remind you of that and then of course well we know that Oceanhorn has also its own personality and in a way we try to make the necessary differentiation the first Oceanhorn has done super well on on Nintendo Switch so (laughs) Nintendo actually quite like us I'd say
0: so, the original Oceanhorn got a graphical update for iOS sometime into its life. How's the like, current version of Oceanhorn 1 compared to here in 2019 Oceanhorn 2
1: graphically? Is it a big leap forward? You just need to look at the screenshots. Remember, this is a game that first came out in 2013. And then it was released uh, first on iOS and then it was released on all the other platforms uh, after some years. The approach with Oceanhorn 2 has been completely different. Like Oceanhorn 1 is uh, a top-down view, reminds a lot more of the classic JRPGs, while Oceanhorn 2, it's a third-person action RPG. That means that you have a 3D camera, you can move around. It doesn't have fixed camera. It just changes the gameplay dramatically, I would say. The game looks good because well, look at it. I mean, there was also the little concern that it's a, it's, it's a very different experience from the first one and uh, would people be on board with it? And I think for the time being, the, the answer seems to be uh, a resounding yes. It seems that people are, are quite enjoying the changes.
0: Yeah. And Ocean War 2, is actually a prequel it's set a thousand years before the
1: original we left it quite vague in the beginning even though someone who knows ocean or first one uh, very well would have been able to figure it out we have stated it explicitly only a few weeks before release that it was a prequel the idea there was to set up the events that bring to the first ocean horn if you ask me which one Should you play first? It's a bit of a chicken and egg question, right? It depends what kind of style of game do you prefer. Do you prefer this uh, kind of uh, top-down camera or do you prefer to have full control of the camera? But story-wise... They complement each other so whatever order works for you it works for us and you don't really need to play Oceanhorn 1 to understand Oceanhorn 2 and uh, well if you play Oceanhorn 1 after Oceanhorn 2 you will understand what happens afterwards so it's like watching Star Wars do you start from episode 4 or or episode 1 like most people will start from 4 I guess but (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) are there any easter eggs for those that did play the original already to look out for in Oceanhorn
1: 2 kind of little tidbits from the world? Yeah, I was discussing this with the guys and um, we came to the conclusion that not really, because the whole game is the setup to the first one. It depends what do you mean with this easter egg. If you mean like, are we in the game? Uh, no, we didn't put anything funny that way. There are references that if you play the first Ocean horror you will understand, most likely if you remember the plot. In the sense of real easter eggs, I don't think those were put in the game. So, I can save some time to people that are looking for them, like you can learn more about Ocean Run One here, but not much about uh, like the, 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 we didn't hide funny stuff or funny bugs or things like that inside the game.
0: Now, something really great about how Apple Arcade's working is you can play on Apple TV, iPad, or the phone. Have you found a preference like different areas of the game that? you really like on the phone versus on the
1: bigger screen i would say that no uh, in the sense that uh, we have a range of devices where the game has to run well we make it run well pretty much on everything including an iphone se which is a very old device some hardwares are more powerful than others of course the lower end being the first apple tv and the higher end being uh, the latest uh, iphone uh, 11 pro or one of the latest ipads The goal here was to make the game run as well as possible on the specific device that that people own. We try to optimize it for the device that you have. When it comes to controls, I personally prefer using the gamepad, but iOS and OS are mainly uh, touch control devices, so we really needed to make sure that it feels good on touch, Even because, as I mentioned earlier, for a long time we didn't know that controller support was coming. So we couldn't take it for granted, you know, it just had to work well on touch. And that's what we focused on. And I think that it is one of the most successful games when it comes to controlling a character uh, in a 3D world. It doesn't feel that different from using a gamepad, even though I grew up with consoles, so for me, the the gamepad is always the best choice. But I think it controls pretty well compared even to many other titles that are out there.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that assessment. And do you guys get analytics to know how many of our users are using controllers versus touch? Do you get that kind of feedback through analytics?
1: Uh, we don't get in general analytics on the game. It was important for Apple on Apple Arcade. There wouldn't be data collection. That's something that we are not doing with this game. If you ask me, can we see who uses the controller versus who uses the touch? Maybe we can see that, but I would need to check. I'm not sure. Gameplay-wise, how's Oceanhorn 2 expanded from the
0: original? You mentioned the camera is much different, how that works? When you change that, everything changes,
1: because all of a sudden, you need the player to be able to fight and uh, take care of enemies that are also behind him. One thing that we added to the game was verticality, for example, which uh, was a thing that maybe the first Ocean Oceanor didn't have in the same way. When you use the grappling hook, you start going from one place to the other very fast. I think it is a very fundamentally big change in the gameplay put in the camera, then you have like two other characters that are helping you, then you have the caster gun. I mean, the changes are significant. We were wondering like, will people like them? Because it is quite different from the first one. But it turns out that the answer is yes. So I'm quite happy about that.
0: Yeah. And I'm so glad last night I did find the grappling hook. It really does open up the world and how you just transverse and move through it. And it's been a lot of fun using that, especially to like go towards enemies really quickly. And you don't have to meticulously aim and point. You're generally in that area looking and, oh, I can grapple hook there. And that works really well. And I've used it to go up, as you said, verticality to enemies, those uh, sniper type people, which is a really great way to get up there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And you mentioned the caster gun. This has been a lot of fun just from a puzzle angle using electricity and fire to and not need all these different items, but a single item. Kind of where did the inspiration for this caster gun come from and how can it be used outside of what I just shared there?
1: The caster gun was there when I joined the company. From all the discussions that I had with the guys, I think that my guess is this, that there was definitely the intention to have a fantasy world that also uses technology. And I think that to make something different, instead of having just characters casting spells, having a device that casts spells sounded interesting for the guys, so if you go look for uh, these are articles where we mention some of the inspirations. The one of our illustrator and artist Miko, he talks uh, extensively about how he's been inspired by stuff like uh, Breath of Fire, Three Alundra, Final Fantasy 7, uh, which are all games that feature some kind of uh, technology mixed with fantasy. I would imagine that that is the ground from which the caster gun has grown.
0: Yeah, and it certainly is a great, great tool. It's been a lot of fun discovering new elements and using ice to jump on so I can reach that far off place in the water to get to. As far as the leveling up system... And the rpg system ocean horn what aspects of your character level up as you combat and and get better
1: are kind of spelled out when this happens in games so you can basically see what you gain at, at each level this is a kind of straightforward simple upgrade system it's not too convoluted it's not difficult to understand it doesn't unlock a million options and that is by design we want the game to be approachable by everyone, even maybe people that cannot really read that much. When I started playing J- JRPGs, I couldn't really read English, so we need to be a bit careful what we do so that people don't get stuck even if they are young, you know? Some kind of upgrades that you get, well, first of all, you get experience points from killing enemies and completing the challenges of the game, which are little tasks that that, that you, you can do. You're not forced to do them. Some will unlock at certain points in the story, but some of them you actually have to actively go and and do them. They influence, for example, the size of uh, your spell container. They fill up your uh, item levels again. They give you more stamina and and things like that. It doesn't unlock a skill tree or anything like that. Uh, That is too complicated for this specific game. Yeah. And what kind of side quests will you
0: find in the campaign? You mentioned challenges. Are some of those side quests uh, things you'll you'll complete challenges to to do. You'll find this little cave somewhere and, and, Kind of explore it,
1: or? there is some relation there between the challenges and the side quests because, for example, we have some side quests where you have to collect things. The, the most notable one are uh, the Bloodstone that you find around the world. There are some uh, where you will get to the White City. I don't know if you went there already. There is the Tower of Knights that kind of gives you a side quest where you can go in the world and collect the daggers of various knights. And when you have collected them all, something will happen. And then we have also optional dungeons that people can find if they want to explore the world a bit. And are these
0: available, is the world available to explore after you beat the main campaign if you do want to collect the daggers and go
1: explore uh, the world? Not really, because uh, the game, after you complete the game, you can start from the last save, but then it will take you... Probably very close to the final boss. So I would recommend that if you want to explore the world, you do it before going to the final boss.
0: Okay, understood. Do you have any favorite games and achievements
1: that are especially
0: whimsical in how they're kind of phrased or put together?
1: Yes, there are, for example, some where. You have to freeze an enemy and wait for one of your partners to break it. There's one where there's this training dummy that you encounter early in the adventure. And if you keep beating him, he will fight back and then you actually have to fight it. So those are maybe fun. And then, uh, well, some of the challenges are actually used as, uh, in a way as a tutorial for the game. So if you complete them, you will learn some actions that are useful later on. And uh, some of them are even uh, kind of silly. For example, if you try out the battery saving mode, you you, you unlock a, a challenge. Some of them you have to put a little bit more effort.
0: Yeah, and you aren't alone. You mentioned uh, you know one of your characters can break an iced over character. You now have Trin and Jen. What kind of commands can you give them to solve puzzles and how do they help out in battles?
1: Well, mostly they take care of themselves. Like the players should never worry where they are except when you are commanding them to go to certain places. They take care of themselves. When they are hurt, they will revive. So you don't really have to worry about them. They're there to support you. They're not there to annoy you. You can give them some simple command. Uh, for example, you can use them, as you mentioned, to step on certain buttons that will help you to solve some puzzles. And uh, You can ask them to stay put or anyway, attack a specific enemy if you really want them to do that. Otherwise, they kind of know what to do.
0: Understood, yep. And as I was playing this game, uh, you know, with headphones on and that's kind of the only thing I'm listening to, I've noticed just the music is just phenomenal. Have you considered adding like a soundtrack mode when you launch the game? Uh, to for players that just want to open up and listen to the ocean horn as they're working on something else?
1: Not really, because it would be much easier to just release the soundtrack. I think the, the soundtrack is getting quite a lot of love, and uh, we haven't discussed with the composer yet about options, what can we do with it, but now that we're seeing that people are liking it, maybe we, we can do something with it, I think.
0: Yeah. How's the music compared to the original ocean horn? Is it the same composer, or is it a whole new... A set of themes is it build on that original score? Or how do
1: they relate? Kale the, the composer is called Kale Ulitalo, Finnish guy. He worked also on the first soundtrack. He did such a good work on that that uh, we thought that okay, he can take uh, also this one. And uh, I think uh, he he definitely uh, overdone himself.
0: And then speaking of the audio, I also really appreciate at least the English version has a great amount of voice acting. Have you guys done voice acting for, I believe, the other 13 languages? Or is it, uh, in those languages, uh, just the subtitles throughout the game?
1: The languages, I think in total there are 14. Um, There's one problem with Arabic. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, in the game yet, I think probably not. And uh, the problem with Arabic is very simple That it is uh, such a weird alphabet That uh, we have some little problems rendering it correctly So it kind of goes out of the windows And it's not displaying as it should But we will get it done But yeah, the, 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 the languages are 14 I think it might be 13 in the game right now Talking about uh, voiceover, I think we will just keep the English even because we got some kind of very popular actors doing uh, the voices for in English, and it would be very difficult to organize for other equivalent actors in other languages. It's it's a big investment in budget, which probably is not not happening at this point.
0: Yeah, and I must say when I play games that are. From Japan, I do prefer the Japanese audio and reading English subtitles because there's a lot of emotion that you still get from hearing the voice. And is that English preserved in other
1: languages? They're just hearing the English while reading their own language. Uh, yeah, yeah, they can listen to the English and, and read uh, in their own language. So basically, it's just subtitles.
0: Excellent. As far as combat, do you have any tips you can share with you know not dying? I guess is uh, the you know uh, sh- using
1: the shield and what other kind of things can you suggest there there is something that some people might have not discovered yet and it is that with the shield uh, you can do a parry and if you're familiar with other games uh, like dark souls or uh, even the latest zelda has it uh, the parry is when uh, you try well, most of the platinum games have it the parry is when you are responding to an attack of uh, an enemy at the, with the right timing and you can do that also in ocean horn too i have to say that We don't communicate that too well And it is something that I've been discussing with the guys That maybe we should uh, show it a bit more For people who like to experiment If you take out your shield at the right moment You can stun the enemies That would be my first tip And then uh, when it comes for example to some uh, uh, enemies uh, The ghost is quite interesting Because the right way to fight it Is basically when you face it It will appear at your back The way to fight it is to leave the character watching in one direction but move the camera towards the ghost so the character doesn't have to watch to to look at the ghost but the camera can look at the ghost and if you do that then you have the right time to turn around and hit it
0: fascinating yeah that's a really good tip and the whole pairing concept uh wind waker did that especially well with pairing and that is a really great tip to start using when you're fighting. And then, as far as swimming, you have limited stamina for swimming. Is using the ice the best way to kind of transverse these longer lakes, or are there certain items or potions you can get to increase your longevity there yeah you'll definitely
1: get something useful to traverse water later on so i wouldn't try like at the point where you are i wouldn't try to spend too much time in water because you're not gonna get very far but uh but you will be able to explore water more in depth later on okay
0: excellent and when you do die say you drown there's not a huge penalty right you lose some hearts but nothing from your inventory kind of goes away
1: no i think you just lose some energy if i remember correctly
0: And how many hours do you anticipate it taking for players
1: to finish the story, the campaign? We've been running some tests here at the office and uh, it is difficult to do when you have been working on the game because of course, uh, most of the team knows the game very well. So can we do it as fast as possible? Imagine like the developer of the game knows all the puzzle, knows exactly where to go, can skip the dialogues, etc. If you do it like that, I think the fastest run was something around five hours. But I have to say, like, my first run with the game was over 15 hours, so I think more 16. I think that would be the average that people would experience. This is a run without most of the side quests. If you put in the side quests, like, we got an email today from one guy that already spent 34 hours on the game. So you can definitely find other things to do uh, beside the main quest.
0: Oh, wow. Well. Yeah, I'm a good six hours into the game, and I'm not very far in in the first temple and as you said i i I will be able to swim much better uh hopefully yeah pretty soon as i uh find the next item there and then have you considered adding a new game plus mode you you mentioned that your final save right before the boss battle is going to wear it it leaves you
1: but uh, have you guys considered a new game plus we've been talking about options like because definitely we want to support the game. We want to release new content. We want people to explore more of the world. So maybe that's something we should look into. I can't commit to it, but it would make sense (laughs) now that you mention. Yeah.
0: And then anything else about Oceanhorn 1 or 2 that we didn't cover that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, I think uh, those are our take on uh, classic adventure games. And we hope that people give them a try and, and find them entertaining. Again, these are games that we think are good to introduce people to the genre, but also to bring back the veterans to uh, the emotions and the feelings that they had the first time they tried to to play something like this. It is shedding away all the complications of certain games and going to the core of what is fun about action RPGs.
0: Excellent. And where can people find more information about both Oceanhorn 1 and 2?
1: Well, we have a beautiful website that I'm uh, curating. Uh, it is reachable at www.oceanhorn.com. From there, you can find the blog, we publish a new piece maybe every couple of weeks, sometimes more, sometimes less. If you subscribe to our newsletter, you get them in advance. Then we have a very vital uh, Facebook page uh, dedicated to Oceanhorn. We also have the one of Cornfox and Brothers, but... but uh, the one about the game is, is where you want to be and uh, and also we have a Twitter account at www.twitter.com slash CornFox uh, the Twitter account is about the company uh, we also share Oceanhorn uh, news of course but uh, the, I think Oceanhorn was taken
0: well thank you so much for your time today I really do appreciate learning more about Oceanhorn too. it's been a great game for me just having such a in-depth and large game on Apple Arcade to sink my teeth into it's been phenomenal i can't wait to finish it and then pick up ocean horn one to experience that as well thank you for the opportunity timothy well that was my interview with Tommaso de benetti i'd like to thank Tommaso for his time recording this episode if you haven't already go and download ocean horn 2 and when you finish that give ocean horn 1 a try which is available on apple platforms but also on the nintendo switch and other third-party platforms as i mentioned at the top of the episode please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Every review goes a long way in helping others discover the show. You can send your feedback to me at applearcadepodcast at gmail.com. You can find the website at applearcadepodcast.com, and you can follow the show on Twitter at Apple Arcade Plus. On the next episode coming up is Tint. This is a puzzle game that is best on the iPad with the Apple Pencil, so if you want to play that ahead of time, that is what is coming up next on Apple Arcade Plus. Tint. Thanks again for listening. Talk to everyone again real soon.